It's a week for Miraculous Returns. We are finally back behind the microphones and Mino Raiola has risen from the dead. Up to you to decide which one is better for football, but welcome to the Anglo-Italian Pod Season 2. Finally, we've made it! Episode 60. Before I introduce my co-host, please remember to follow us on Instagram at it's Anglo Italian Pod and on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod. I almost got it wrong, but also remember to follow our sponsor at the Sports Club Maps. Of course, I'm Tommaso, and I'm here with my great friend and co-host, Mr. Rory Crisqualo. How are you doing today? All right, I'm good, mate. How are you? How are we doing? It feels like a while since we've chatted, Tommy. It's been like it feels like a while. Apologies to the listeners. On Monday, Rory and I didn't even talk about not coming online because it was a Monday, but it was Liberation Day in Italy, and I completely forgot that it was a Monday. I was having a picnic with some friends for a friend's birthday, and when Rory messaged me, I felt like the biggest idiot in the world. (laughs) But finally, here we are. Look, the weather is beautiful in Milan. Spring is in full swing, and it's very hard not to just daydream during work about Mm -hmm. just guzzling down beers in the beer garden do you feel the same way yeah like the the motivation for being in class is getting like less and less and i mean from me and from the students right you can just see people like longingly staring out of the window during class now being like when when do we end school again like you can see june approaching you can see the light at the end of the tunnel um yeah the, the weather is beautiful and i've had visitors last weekend and now they're coming back, and I've got other visitors, so I've had to wait two years for visitors, but now they're like buses, they all come at once, so I'm pretty excited. They've managed to avoid this week of shit weather, now the good weather's back, so hopefully it should be a good, sunny, beer-fueled weekend across Milan. I'm really, really excited. Let's do it, let's go, and Rory, where are we going to start from with this episode? Any news from around the world of football? Well, I very quickly wanted to shout out, because I feel like we didn't really have chance, the fact that Barry are back. Que bello air. They are back in Serie B. They're on their way back, hopefully, to be in Serie A soon. Now, this, it's great. They've won their division. Um, they won it quite comfortably. Toward their last game of the season, they did lose 2-0 at home to Palermo. But I think the the, sta- the stadium, it was insane. It was practically full. The atmosphere looked amazing. And I think the team were just ready for the party. The pictures of Barry afterwards, I wish I'd been there. The streets were just absolutely rammed. And you kind of forget how big a football city that is. Um, they really do love that team. So they're back in Serie B. The problem could be that they are owned by De Laurentiis, right? Mm, so it's the same yeah. owner as Napoli. So like we had the Salernitana Lazio thing, if things continue to get better for Bari, maybe De Laurentiis has a decision to make. But for now, beautiful to see Bari. They're going to be playing in the north more. So I might actually be able to catch a few of their games next season. They're going to be on Dazone. I can't wait. I'm super excited. As you can see, Tommy, I know it's not a pod feature, but I'm rocking the shirt. Um, very, very excited for uh, for Baddy to be back in Serie B. On their way back, get him in Serie A. Well, to anybody listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or in any podcast format, if you want to check out Rory's uh, kit, you can always find our interview in this very episode mm-hmm. in YouTube and video format. So make sure you check it out. So, of course, we've got an interview today. And for the rest, it's just going to be Champions League review and a lot of Serie A 
God damn it. <laughs> we're we're going to have to talk league. about it, Tommy. I'm sorry. I'm going to, it's going to be like a therapy session. I feel like there's going to be like years worth of like angst and like, um, what's the word? Resentment built up. But it's going to be a therapy session. We'll work through it, Tommy. We'll work through it. I want our Uncle Sharma to be back and just like, I don't know, cradle me to sleep with good words about the fact that it's still possible to get that Scudetto. It's but... still mathematically possible. You need to write that on your bedroom wall when you wake up every day. It's still look, mathematically possible. Look, we are going to get there. Of course, we're referencing the fact that Inter lost to Bologna. And you have no idea, mate. <laughs> this morning when I walked to school, I arrived like last minute because I didn't want to bump into my students outside of school. So I arrived like last minute, went straight to class. But half of our wall is actually glass. So you can see okay. from the corridor. And all of a sudden, I see this student from another class who's an AC Milan fan. And like peeks through and then like moves <laughs> his hand and he's like, he tells his classmates, come, come, come. And they start like banging on the window, looking at me. And I was just like, well, at this point, come in. And they're just like, prof, allora, so prof, you're not so talkative anymore. I was just like, I don't know what you're talking about, guys. I've always been a cricket fan. I don't football. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? But guys, it's about time that we jump on our blimp to review everything that has happened across the Champions League the Premier League, and Serie A over the past week and a half, I want to say. So let's do it. It's your review time. And here we are in the Euroview blimp flying across Europe. Of course, by the time you're listening to this pod, you will know the results of the first leg of the semifinals, both in the Europa League and in the Europa Conference League. We've got... RB Leipzig versus Rangers and West Ham versus Frankfurt in the Europa League and Feyenoord Marseille and Leicester Roma in the Conference League. Very exciting games. Rory, any predictions? I was going to say I'm going to I'm going to flip it on you Tommy. Predictions for the final Europa League final, what do you think? Europa League final, I want to say Leipzig West Ham. Yes. What about you? Yes. What about think- you? I think Leipzig, West Ham, and we've been talking on the WhatsApp chat, a trip to Sevilla could be in the order if West Ham get there. God, I hope they do. Conference League final, what do you think? Conference League final, look, I kind of want to see Roma in the final. Um, Mm. So I'm going to say Roma, Marseille. What about you? What a final. Yeah, I think Mourinho is going to outfox the Foxes. That was an unintentional pun um i think he's going to outfox brendan rogers and they should get to the final it's marseille who's it marseille against marseille is against feyenoord feyenoord oh that's a proper tie as well that sounds like a 1980s european cup tie doesn't it marseille feyenoord yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna just to be different i'm gonna say feyenoord feyenoord roma final reese nelson wins it with feyenoord yeah that sounds great let's do that one let's do that one Look, the thing that I love the most about the semifinals is that in the Europa League, we've got four different nations in Germany, Scotland, England, and, oh no, we've got three different nations because Frankfurt is also from Germany, as you may know. And in the Europa Conference (laughs) League, in the Europa Conference League, we actually have four different countries in the Netherlands, France, England, and Italy. So, look, it's the first year of this competition, but I guess we'll get to it. We'll talk about it, but I think it's been a success. Just yeah, I think undoubtedly, and like we said it on the last episode, maybe that by the time you get to the semi-final stage of any competition, it gets quite exciting. But do you think that they are more 
this might be a bad week to bring this up given we have Real Madrid, Man City, but do you think <laughs> they are more exciting than the Champions League because the teams that get towards the end are always different? Like in the Champions League, it tends to be the same teams who get as far, who get like Bar Villarreal this year, it tends to be the same teams, right? Whereas in the Europa League, it's almost every year it's different semi finalists. I get the feeling the Conference League will be the same. Like, what do you think? I, I think you're spot on. I think that's actually a very good point. And especially Conference League, I think like every year it could be a different mm-hmm. team because, you know, it's uh, it's played at a tricky day of the week. So it also depends on which teams make that competition their priority. Yeah, and playing on like, a Thursday is a bastard. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah, and it feels like Roma are actually like Mourinho is actually setting his eyes on the cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a better record, you know, to be the first manager to win a newly established trophy you will know the results by the time you're listening to this but it's time to to review the champions league week where to start from if not the city of manchester were one of the biggest and most incredible football games in champions league history i want to say took place I've talked about it on the pod before how my dad has kind of fallen out of of love with (laughs) football You know that on Tuesdays I cannot watch games, unfortunately, but he just texted me and he was like, what the fuck is happening in this game? He was just like, I cannot get distracted for a second. And the goal comes in and it's a beautiful goal. Rory, you watched it live. How was it? Oh, it was incredible. It was incredible. I made sounds across that game that I haven't made in a very long time. That was unbelievable. I feel like it's a game that when you... European semi-finals or big games in Europe very rarely like live up to the billing, right? And you're looking at Manchester City, Real Madrid, two of the greatest teams on the planet, and then it's a 1-0 as both teams are desperately trying not to lose. This was just exactly what you wanted to be. It was two teams who just absolutely went at it. And what I found, there's a really interesting kind of juxtaposition between the two you had man city who was all system based system system our system's going to beat you the way we play like our triangles our interplay that's how we're going to beat you against real madrid who was just okay well we've got better players than you we have better individuals our individuals will outscore you and i feel like it was a really interesting kind of um like two opposites against each other you have to say Defending was not a thing in this game. Um, Neither team chose to defend. I think the fact that Kyle Walker was out for Man City, John Stones came in at right back, then he was taken off injured. Fernandinho at right back, straight away, Mm. one of the American boys, I think it was Max, shouted out straight away, Fernandinho against Mendy is going to be a problem. It was. uh, Against against Vinicius, especially. Against either of them, really. But yeah, um, it was. I think that definitely didn't help Man City's defence. We've seen before the fact that they play such a high line means that teams like Tottenham and like Liverpool are able to get behind them. Um, And Real Madrid with Benzema, with Vinicius, they are definitely able to get behind them and were able to. But for Man City, they easily could have had eight or nine. Like, not even exaggerating. Mares could have had a hat-trick. Um, I feel like Gabriel Jesus missed another chance as well as scoring. And I think I saw someone tweet during the game. It's like someone's designed a game specifically to annoy Guardiola. <laughs> like, because everything about this game was just making him angrier and angrier. And like, even when City were 2-0 up, when they missed the chances, you just had a feeling like they're going to regret this. They're going to regret this. Real Madrid are going to turn up at some point. And they did. And I just felt it was an absolutely 
beautiful game. Incredible goals. Bernardo Silva's goal was amazing. We're not going to talk about the Penenka yet. I need to give that a whole section of itself. But like <laughs> some of the goals were unbelievable. Benzema had no right to score that volley. Just what a beautiful game. What a be- like even the missus who doesn't give a shit about football put a book down and was like, holy, like I'm watching the game. Like this is amazing. Like, it was insane. Yeah, bang for your buck, right? 90 minutes of football, seven goals in Champions League semi. That's insane. Look, you were mentioning how much in distress uh, Pep looked when uh, Riyad Mahrez missed the two big chances mm-hmm. when they were up 2-0. Now, when I watched the highlights, by the way, ourmatchhighlights.net, I believe, great website if you want to watch extended highlights. Look, I think that when you're leading 2-0 at home, is you need to send a message, especially from your manager. I felt like Guardiola was being a little bit too vocal and almost making his opposition understand mm. how much they were regretting those chances they had missed. So you're up 2-0, right, against one of the best teams in the world. That's a good result. Okay, you've missed one chance. You've missed another one. It's good to motivate your players, but I feel like when you start acting like you already regret it so badly mm-hmm. you're sending a message to the op- to the opposition and you on the other side you see Ancelotti on the other bench you know Just he has that stone e- face the whole way he, yeah he kind of has an expression when they go down like mm-hmm. i don't like it but <laughs> yeah. it's about it you know and then he just stands up gives his directions do you feel that played any role in the game or am i just like overthinking it I think having a manager manage my team who is heavily influenced by Guardiola, I do sometimes wish he would sit down and shut up. I think it does have an effect on players. I think with Man City, there is a visible... Like, you can feel the nerves around Man City when they get far in the Champions League. It's every time. You can feel, it's like palpable, how nervous and how much they want this Champions League because they know there's no excuse for them having not won it already. With the amount of money they've spent, they should have won this thing. And each year they don't. You can feel it getting more and more. The questions more about Pep Guardiola overthinking. During the week, he was like, yeah, no, I've never thought about the fact that I've overthought these things. I guarantee you have. Mm, yeah. The second you say that means that you have. Um, I think, yeah, you can. The nerves all feed from him, which is weird because they're a team that typically they they're quite a calm team. Like they just, we've talked about like Liverpool batter you to death and Man City like a thousand cuts, like smother you. Right? They just stick to the system. They know eventually it will work, and that's how they get results in the Premier League. They don't panic. They just get the result. But in this game, there was that kind of nerves, the panic. And the second Benzema scored the first one, you knew that it could go anywhere. And I think Real Madrid knew, I think Man City knew that the game could go anywhere as well. Um, it helps that they've got incredible players like Phil Foden and Bernardo Silva. Like, and their attack is incredible. That helps. But their defence was definitely found lacking. De- like, really, really terrible defender. But then for Real Madrid, Carvajal, I thought, was... Terrible. Uh, honestly, some of the positions he found himself in were just baffling. Um, Except he saved the back. goal on the line, I believe, if I remember correctly. Yes, he did. I Again, I think that was more by luck than by design. Foden kind of hit it straight at him. And I was like, oh, if you'd have put that anywhere else, that would have gone in. Um, I think on both teams, the defence was pretty terrible. But what a beautiful game. I absolutely loved it. And I think 
I during the week I was wondering, do I actually enjoy football? Right, I'm, I, I have a point here. Right, so I was watching the United Arsenal game, and the whole right. thing was awful. My heart rate was through the roof. I thought this is no part of this is nice. Even when we're three one up, I was shitting myself that we were going to lose. Right, the Champions League semi final, two great teams. I've got no investment. I had a great time. I just really enjoyed it. And I was like, do I actually enjoy supporting a team or do I just like watching good football? I don't know. It made me, maybe I looked into it a bit deep, but I really, really enjoyed it. So let's uh, take a look. So this 4-3 result, now that the away goal rule doesn't count anymore, it's pretty much a 1-0 going <laughs> going to Madrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven goals for almost nothing um, for a 1-0 win, and it's all going to be played in Madrid. Sorry, if you agree, why don't we do a split analysis, takeaways for Manchester City and takeaways for Real Madrid. Okay. Um, what do you think about Manchester City's performance? Where does this put them in the tie? I think, feeding back into the nerves thing, they're going to feel like they, they should be further ahead. And despite being one goal ahead, they're going to feel almost like they lost the game because they mm-hmm. know that Real Madrid, they've got to go to the Bernabeu. I think mentally, this is a huge test for, for Man City. Mentally, it's huge. And I think maybe, despite being a goal down, Real Madrid are in the better position because they have players that have won four of these trophies. Also, if I may add, uh, Manchester City in the knockout stage of the Champions League, they have conceded only three goals. And all those three goals were scored by Real Madrid. Real Madrid, on the other hand, before meeting Manchester City, they had conceded a grand total of six goals. So Mm -hmm. they're like, we're unfazed. We know what we're doing. So where does this put Real Madrid, on the other hand, in your opinion? I think they're looking at the Bernabeu going, okay, let's go. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. We've got a one Mini- goal. They had to come back against PSG and they did it, right? Quite yeah. easily in the end. Um, I think they, they've they nailed the comeback across this, this campaign. They've been kind of coming back from disadvantages, right? And they've managed yeah. to do it. I think they're not going to be faced by Man City. They know that Man City are nervous. They know that they've got the mental um, advantage. And also, because we do need to talk about it, they've got Benzema. Mm-hmm. And when you are able to step up mm-hmm. and do a Penenka like that, when you are two goals down away in the semi-final, that goal made me create a sound that I've never heard before. I really, really, really enjoyed that goal. I really enjoyed it. Especially after you've missed two penalties for the first time in your career in the game against Osasuna a few days before this mm-hmm. matchup. I think that's just guts. And man, Benzema is on a mission. You could see it. Um, you could see it whenever uh, after they conceded the first two goals. You see, like Modric, he's a silent leader. Kroos, he likes to talk to the manager. The only player that I saw in a white kit motivating his teammates and being like, "Guys, what the fuck are we doing? This is not the plan." It was Benzema. He was, Mm -hmm. I feel like at a point I saw him kind of go to each individual player and be like, let's go, guys, let's go, let's Mm -hmm. pick it up, let's pick it up. That first goal that he scored, it felt to me like one of those Icardi golden days Mm -hmm. goals, you know, like you touch one ball and it goes in. That guy is on a mission. And the Panenka, man, that was a very Zidane like Panenka. The the fact it needs 
kissed the crossbar. He nearly kissed the crossbar. Better than saw, the Zidane one. Better than the Zidane one. Exactly. Yeah, I saw Musa Akwanga, who's incredible author, football journalist, but on Twitter he said that is the penalty of someone who has already won this trophy four times. Like <laughs> he is not phased at all. He's like, yeah, been here, done it, bang unbelievable balls unbelievable balls and i think the point you made about him talking uh, talking to each player is really interesting because we've talked before about his personality his character um and what type of person he is when it whether he's gone from vinicius don't pass to him i swear he's playing against us and he's almost emerged as this leader now i think we're seeing a whole new side of him a whole new part of him and you've mentioned it before, and I think you're absolutely right. He wants that Champions League without Ronaldo. He wants to be like, I got the Champions League, and it wasn't just on Cristiano Ronaldo. Like, I was the main player. I think he really wants that. And he kind of deserves it. If they won it, I would not be angry at all. I feel like I've said for a while that they feel inevitable, and I think they've given us some of the best games in this tournament. If not, all of the best games in this tournament so far have involved Real Madrid, I want to say. Um, yeah. So I think they definitely, definitely deserve it. But Man City will be feeling otherwise, I imagine. And look, if Real Madrid were to get to the final, on their way to the final, they would have beat PSG, (laughs) European champions Chelsea, Manchester City, and then they would face, we don't know who, between Liverpool and Villarreal. But what a run. And Rory, I've got to hear a few quotes from uh, the great Javi Martinez, uh, highly missed in world football. His last stint was at Bayern Munich, I believe. But he's one of the players that had the... He, he was coached, he was managed both by Ancelotti and Guardiola. So I'm going to share with you some quotes from this interview that he had. And he starts by talking about Guardiola. Well, first he says, to me, they're the best representatives of their generations. And then he says, Guardiola has a unique way of analyzing football. He can first see what happens on the pitch. You play knowing what you have to do and what the opposing team will do. It's a massive advantage. And his tactics and pressing schemes and add his tactics and pressing schemes and Pep becomes almost unbeatable. But then he moves on to Carlo Ancelotti and he says, Carlo knows exactly what teams need. Mm-hmm. When I am asked who is the best coach in the world, I always say Guardiola. But for a player, it's important to work with coaches who know how to get the best out of you. And I've never felt as good as under Carlo, mm-hmm. not only in footballing terms, but also personally. I believe he is the best of all. Now, you were mas- mentioning Vinicius Jr. When, I don't know if Benzema and Vinicius were, you know, in good terms when Ancelotti came over. Uh, but Ancelotti was able basically to just give Vinicius the reputation, like Vinicius gained his world-class reputation under mm-hmm. Ancelotti this very year. And he's made him irreplaceable for the team. And the 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 way Vinicius reads Benzema's movements and the other way around is just incredible. Mm-hmm. So I think this was a huge praise by Javi Martinez. Well, I think with Ancelotti, look, he improves every player he coaches. I think he... <sighs> I, I bet they didn't think they'd get a mention in this conversation. But if you look at Everton, right? In basically, <laughs> this, if you look at basically the same squad, take away Lucas Dina, right? The performances he was getting out of Alan, he was getting out of Awobi, he was getting out of some of those um, like Richarlison, he was getting out of the Everton players were incredible, right? He was improving those those players. Look where they are now, right? 
you're right with Benzema, Vinicius, the chemistry at Real Madrid just seemed absolutely ruined. Lopetegui was a disaster. He just came in. He's galvanized everyone. He improves players everywhere he goes. I think it is his his calmness, his just experience. He is set to be the first manager to ever win all five major European leagues. Like, that is huge. Like, yeah. that is... The fact that like Pep hasn't done that, Mourinho hasn't done that, real off any other manager, he is one game away from doing that. And I think people still don't really talk about him enough as like one of the best managers in the world. People always say Klopp, Guardiola, um, right? I think he's like there. It should be Klopp, Guardiola, Ancelotti. Like he is in that conversation. And I don't have the stats in front of me, but Ancelotti also had a great career as a football player. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, Guardiola did too, but it's kind of rare to see a manager who is so successful both on the pitch and Mm -hmm. on the sideline. Everything to be decided next week at the Bernabeu. We can't wait already, but there is another fixture that we need to cover. Liverpool win 2-0 against Villarreal and Rory. That is not the only good news going to the red side of the Mersey, correct? No, it isn't. It feels like a big, big week for Liverpool as they basically, touch wood, maybe confirm their place in the final in wherever the final is. Uh, Paris, right? Paris, Paris, dude. It is in Paris. Um, All Liverpool fans were starting to get a little bit nervous. 2023 was getting close. They think, oh, it's only one more season. But he's done it. Jurgen Klopp has put pen to paper and he has signed an extension until 2026. This is great, great news for Liverpool fans. Probably not great news for other Premier League teams. Um, as I was kind of hoping, like, oh, he leaves in 2023. Arsenal keep improving. Maybe we could... No, well, Klopp's still going to be there. So I feel like this is going to go on for a while. He said he wants to um, build a legacy if he hasn't already. He does have bigger plans. I think this is huge, obviously, for Liverpool. And it does apparently um, mean that Salah is going to be closer to extending his contract, which could be huge as well. Um, Just a good week all around for Liverpool, really. I think Klopp extending is fantastic. For the Premier League in general, it's incredible. Like, his football is amazing to see. This Liverpool team is arguably one of the greatest teams of all time. Like, it is insane. Um, especially if they win the Champions League this year and if they win the league. Like, they could win a lot this year. And I think we are seeing, and we said it in the last episode, we're seeing peak Klopp Liverpool. Um, we're seeing the second cycle of players. The fact that Luis Diaz now seems to be starting every major game. Um, Mane's got a new role. Firmino's barely getting a look in. Jota, who could not stop scoring, isn't getting a look in. And you're like, wow, we're seeing this kind of, we're seeing it involve it evolve in front of us, which is uh, is great to see. Villarreal tried to stop it, but... And also, before we cover the actual game, I just want to say that let's not forget that when Klopp got to Liverpool, the situation wasn't as rosy (laughs) as it is now. They were terrible. They were terrible. established this cycle. Mm -hmm. There were some ups and downs at the beginning. It wasn't... It didn't all go great, but I, I love the fact that the club had the patience to just be like, let him do his job. It's something that we see less and less in football. We see, especially in Serie A, we see these managers that say for one season, two seasons, just look at Napoli, for example. And it's nice to see this, this Ferguson-like figure almost like mm-hmm. creating this long cycle at Liverpool. And honestly, right now, I cannot see Klopp anywhere, if not on the sideline, for 
the Reds in Liverpool. But Rory, what did you think of the actual game? I was double screening because on the other side, I was, looking, I was watching Inter Milan. We're going to get there. Um, I watched only the first half and it looked a bit dull, especially on VRL's part. Um, you need yin and yang, right? The world needs yeah. balance. We had insanity on Tuesday night and we had predictability on Wednesday night. I think Villarreal tried very, very hard. They Their defending was incredible. First half, they really did such a good job of frustrating Liverpool. And I thought, okay, maybe they get out of here with something. Like I could definitely see them doing it. Second half, again, Liverpool, they just keep going, keep going, keep going. And they have a real knack of like scoring in quick succession. So once yeah. they have one goal, True. they score straight away again, and then it's game over. And they, they, they did it to Arsenal so many times this year, um, where you're like, oh, we're doing well, we're doing well, we're doing well. You blink, you're 3-0 down. And I think this is what happened here. Villarreal, they came with a very clear game plan. But let's be honest, this game plan got them to beat Juventus. It got them to beat Bayern Munich. We know exactly what they were going to do. I think a lot of the coverage in the UK today has been, just really fucking predictable and irritating. Um, I know talk sport is there to wind people up, but they really do wind me up. And I think Everton did it at the weekend, played even more cynical than Villarreal did. Um, and people were praising Frank Lampard. People being, you know, oh, clever, streetwise, wily Fox trying to get something. But a foreign team comes over and does it. Well, that's just disgraceful. And I think it's all very predictable, very infuriating. I think... If you look at Villarreal, the size of the club, now people yeah. have talked about it. I now know every town in the UK that is the same size as Villarreal, right? It's like 50,000 people, right? This club has a smaller wage budget than Burnley and they are in a Champions League semi-final. I think people aren't making enough of the fact that they even got to this point. Like, it is huge that they are at a Champions League final. And when they get there, what do you expect them to do? Do you want them to just turn up and try and play free-flowing football and just get battered 6-0? Because if they did that, you'd be having a go at them for being naive. Like, and True. even with the whole thing of like a favorite and an underdog, right? We love an underdog winning, right? When has an underdog ever turned up and played the bigger team off the field? That's never mm. happened. There's never been a team come out, play total, total football, and beat a team four divisions above them. It's not happened. They've done it by defending well, being disciplined, getting a goal, defending, being disciplined, maybe get another goal. Like, that's how you beat teams that are bigger than you. I don't know what people expected Villarreal to do. I think, look, it's disappointing that Allison had nothing to do. It's disappointing that Villarreal weren't able to attack. But it's completely predictable. Teams, that in, teams in the Premier League have turned up to Anfield and done that quite regularly. I think just the, the outrage has been ridiculous. Now I'm getting outraged about the outrage. It's annoying. Um, but I feel like it's been a little bit harsh on Villarreal and they actually deserve a lot of credit for getting this far. They've knocked out Juventus and Bayern, for fuck's sake. What more do you want? And also, I think the tie is still open. This is going to yeah, be the first time in the knockout. It's going to be the first time in the knockout stages that Villarreal get to play their second leg at home. I expect them to score at least one. There's going to be a game on when they are in Villarreal. Um, they cannot use the same game plan that they used in Liverpool. Right now, they got to go for it, score two goals at least. So I think we're going to we're gonna have a game. And uh, we've seen how Liverpool are very good, but sometimes they can slip up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I, I expect the game in Villarreal to be a little more feisty than what a lot of people are picturing. 
Yeah, I think though there, there, there is a twist in the tale at some point. Um, but I did, as the lineups came out, I did have a sigh of like, oh, thank God we don't have Emery anymore. As I saw Cockerlan playing left wing, <laughs> oh, frig me. Like, I am so glad we do not have a manager that's this defensive anymore. The, the football is difficult. It is difficult to watch. I think the enjoyment you get from that football is, as a Villarreal fan, you see players that are absolutely busting a gut for that system. They are dying for the shirt. That's where they get their enjoyment, right? Emery's job isn't to entertain us, it's yeah. to satisfy the Villarreal fans. And the satisfaction they get is from players that are willing to die for that shirt. And despite their performance last night, you cannot level anything other than that at them. They have put everything into that shirt, yeah, into the lost, system. But again, this is, this is a debate that is infuriating me a little bit. Like this big division, like... This big division, like they created the one for Provax, Novax, like the world is either Provax or Novax. And then they do the same for either you play beautiful, exciting football or you play shit football. I'm tired of this shit. Like you are VRL, you are squaring up against the arguably one of the two best teams in the world. Yeah. You manage to very decently lose 2 0 away from home in a Champions League semi final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's, it's Think so of the teams that lost at Anfield worse this year than that, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's, yeah. It is not a bad performance. It's not a bad result. I just think there's so much snobbery when it comes to this point in the competition. It's like, well, do you want the underdog to do well or do you not? Or do you just want the big teams there? Because if that's what you want, just say it. But like, if you want these fairy tale stories, you have to take the fact that how these happen is by not... Ajax total football like it yeah. comes through great a low block and a counter-attack like that's true. how it comes true and look before we jump to the Premier League and the Serie A because we've got quite a bit to talk about before our very exciting interview which I can personally wait for uh, I've got two things to say number one Liverpool have officially lost only one game at home in this year's Champions League and it was against Inter Milan Woo! And Benzema has scored against every single club he's faced in the Champions League, except Inter Milan. So, Man, you are picking up those trophies this year. That's a, that's a Tottenham-level trophy cabinet right there. Shut the fuck up. But <laughs> the other thing that I want to tell you is a quote followed by a question to you by Liam Gallagher. He okay. says, I used to go to Main Road. Right now, it feels like you're going to a theater. Everybody's sitting down. They should create, in all safety, some sectors, maybe of 10,000 seats, in which people can create a bit of atmosphere. Right now, you cannot do anything. You cannot shout. You cannot get up. Football is passion. I don't go there anymore for this reason. You cannot fully enjoy it anymore. It's as if somebody sucked life out of football stadiums. Now, I read this quote, and I was already thinking about something, that it it's been a while since we've seen a very intense tifo in the semifinals. I feel like it's always the more poised clubs that get all the way there. And I would like to see a few flares, maybe a few, just like a more aggressivity from the stance. Do you agree with me or not? 
Oh, completely, completely. I think, look, I don't like doing the kind of celebration police thing and like, oh, these fans crap, these fans good. But the picture of Benzema celebrating and all the Man City fans just taking a picture of him did make me feel slightly sick. If Benzema had just scored a Penenka against Arsenal in the Champions League semi-final and I'm in the stadium, I'm not taking a picture of him. I'm probably throwing my phone at him. <laughs> like, it True. is. It, it feels like a complete... It's a wider issue, but like the, um, the sanitation sanitization the sanitization is that the word yeah yeah of, I think so. of football um is grim and it is the big clubs right it's the fans that you know corporate tickets or tourist fans whatever it is and the atmosphere does go now in the uk they because we used to have such a problem with hooliganism and with like stadium violence etc the rules are really really strict so you're not allowed to take flares in you're not allowed to do a lot of things you're not allowed to stand up technically like so what they're trying to do to combat this now, Chelsea have done it. I think um, Man United have done it. There's a few teams, Celtic have done it, where they've brought in the safe standing and the safe standing sections. I know that the Arsenal owners have talked about doing it. I think it's something that we're going to see sooner rather than later because actually when you stand up and it's seating, it's more dangerous than if it was just a terrace. Um, so I think we are going to see more of the safe standing. That will improve atmospheres, hopefully. Even at Arsenal now, they've got a bit of a daft name, but the Ashburton Army, because it's originally called Ashburton Grove, they're now like a supporters group that are trying to organise T4s at Arsenal. They're trying to make it more fan-led, more of an atmosphere. I think you're seeing this kind of, since the Super League, since all that, the fans are trying to kind of, kind of waking up in England and being like, shit, we need to do something. We need to make our presence felt because they've they've sterilised us so much. I think in, in Italy, it's so much easier to do those things because once you get into San Siro, it's bandit country. You can do what you want in there. There's no cameras, right? In <laughs> England, would, it's so outside, hard to do anything. Like I was outside of the Arsenal Stadium last week in London and there was a big sign that said, no smoking allowed. And then in fine print, it said, whoever uh, whoever does it is going to be kicked out of the stadium immediately. And they just thought about the San Siro people smoking Mate. bongs, dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, and even the Arsenal podcast I listened to, um, the Tuesday Club, definitely check it out. It's incredible. They took, some people in Arsenal still managed the, to like smoke a, smoke a joint in the Emirates. I'm like, oh, fair play. The, your dedication to it, absolutely fair play. Um, but in England, yeah, it's a little bit more difficult. I would love to see the atmosphere get back to what it was like in the 90s. I realize a lot of it is like things were always better when you were younger, but I think genuinely the atmosphere of football was a lot better when we were younger. Um, hopefully we'll get back to it. Beautiful. Now we've got about 10 minutes each, Rory, to review the Premier League. I know you're very happy about what Arsenal have been doing recently. I am very unhappy about what Inter did last night. I will let you go first. Let's cover everything that has been going on in the Premier League. Title race, top four, and relegation battle. What have you got for us, Rory? Well, so to be honest, Tommy, I was only... The reason I was most annoyed on Monday was because I didn't get a bloody chance to talk about Arsenal's fantastic week. We finally had two of the greatest results in the last couple of years, and we couldn't do the show. I was... Fuming. And it does put pay to the theory that, you know, I only took the week off because Arsenal were losing. Maybe that was part of it, but you'll never be able to prove it. We beat Chelsea away to start with, which is incredible. We have this mad record over Chelsea at the minute. Arteta's record against Chelsea is fantastic. Um, 4-2. Absolutely chaotic game. Chelsea gave us loads of goals. 
Saka penalty just in high pressure moment Euro 2020 narrative etc really 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 great performance then the Man United game was absolute even more chaos and what I find fascinating is that Arteta like Guardiola tries to have it all super controlled super controlled everybody robotic you do this you do that you do this you do that our greatest results have come from the complete opposite just utter chaos falling around him and we've managed to come out of it um I have to say the referee in the Man United game was, it was at Craig Pawson, was absolutely terrible. Um, Cedric, apparently the rule is that that wasn't a penalty, but that's a penalty. Um, The, what was the other decision? The Ronaldo goal wasn't offside. I really don't think it was offside. Honestly, all of this, I also couldn't give a shit. Like if United had won with these decisions going their way, they would not be complaining about it. So I'm not going to feel guilty about it. Um, the Ronaldo goal wasn't offside, but Fernandez 100% should have been sent off. I don't know what it is about Bruno Fernandez. He does this quite a lot. I've seen him do it four or five times now where he goes in, studs up when United are losing and just tries to injure someone. He never gets booked for it, never gets sent off. For me, that should have been a retrospective ban. They should have said, that is dangerous play. You're endangering an opponent. Um, on match of the day, Ian Wright and Alan Shearer were talking about it and they slowed it down in shot. Nuno Tavares passes the ball. The ball goes out of shot. Fernandez isn't even there. And then all of a sudden he just flies in. He's like five seconds behind the play, six seconds behind the play. Disgusting. He should have been sent off. But anyway, we won 3-1. The fact that we absolutely scummed the win only makes it even better. Saka, another penalty after McTominay tried to put him off. All of a sudden, things for United are looking even worse as they're definitely out of the Champions League race now. We still have some tough games to go. We've got to play West Ham um, next, but feeling a bit better. The only thing is, I really wish we could have picked up some points against Brighton, Palace and Southampton. Even one point out of them would have been nice. But if someone had said to me, right, you will lose to Palace, Brighton and Southampton, but you will beat United and Chelsea. I think I might have taken that. I think I might have, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, fine, fine. I'll take that. Just to beat United and Chelsea is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, but yeah, man, that streak of results, 3-0 to Palace, 2-1 at a home versus Brighton, 1-0 away at Southampton. Those are the moments. You see, when you then you... You get these two positive results, seven goals scored between the Chelsea and United, and you're just like... He's got one goal in three games. Yeah, and, and you're just seven. like, boys, what did we do? Like, honestly, that one point could... That one point that you said you wish you could have gotten against those mm-hmm. three teams could be fundamental at the end yeah. of the season. It, for the it, it absolutely could. And the, the frustrating thing, I'm going to finish on Arsenal after this, but the frustrating thing is, is that in the especially in the Brighton and Southampton games, Palace, we were terrible. We absolutely deserved to lose that game. Brighton and Southampton, we created the chances. We just didn't score. Like Southampton, we absolutely battered them. Just could not get the ball in the back of the net. Fraser Forster turned into... Lev Yashin and it's 1-0 right and I think that's the frustration it's but you only worry or you only start to worry when you stop creating chances if you're not creating chances then you're like okay we're in trouble but we're still creating chances we've started scoring them Enketia for Lacazette has been a bit of a genius move so far um yeah things are looking a little bit rosier but supporting Arsenal is like so schizophrenic it's horrible man I can't (laughs) it's just it's honestly torture I put a picture up on Twitter of that run of form and I was like being an Arsenal fan is 
confusing. <laughs> like, I do not know what this team is. But if we can just get to the end of the line, if we can just get to the Champions League, get Gabriel Jesus signed, get Osman signed, which apparently is in the offing for 100 million, I would be very, very happy with that. We just need that top four finish. We just need it. Upcoming games, West Ham, Leeds, Tottenham, Newcastle, and Everton. All right. I think you guys have got a chance. The Derby is going to be massive. What else have we got in the Premier League, Rory? Well, tonight, listeners will know the answer. Um, Manchester United take on Chelsea. Manchester United without any of their players, which could actually be a blessing. I think Maguire is out. <laughs> um, I think like most Sorry. of their players are injured. Our friendly Roy sent to the fantasy football picture, uh, to the fantasy football uh, chat, he sent a picture of a bet that he's made. Right. And it's Harry Maguire to score tonight. And I love the answer by one of our mates who I said... I think I saw that. Wait. In which goal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In which goal did you bet he's going to score? His own or Chelsea's? Be clear. <laughs> well, I've got bad news for Leroy. He's injured, so I don't know which book he took his money off him, but he's taken the money <laughs> off him. Um, so Maguire won't be playing, but that could really... Uh, that could be bad for United. They are looking absolutely lost. But this weekend, we've got... On Saturday, the early kickoff is Newcastle versus Liverpool. Newcastle... The, set, the team with the second most points this calendar year. Liverpool, the team with the most points this calendar year. So the two 2022 informed teams, that could be an interesting game. Newcastle away isn't as easy as it was about six months ago. Then we've got a huge, huge game in the relegation battle. Watford in 19th place on 22 points. Take on Burnley in 17th place on 31 points. Now, Tommy, I need to talk about, I went in on Burnley and be like, how have you made this decision? You're fucking idiots. You've sacked your greatest manager in history and they've now got seven points in three games. They've dragged themselves out of the relegation zone and they're starting to look really, really like they're playing progressive possession-based football and they're getting the best out of their wingers. You're like, okay, maybe I don't know how to run a football club. Maybe people are more qualified than me. That game is going to be fascinating. Watford, they look like they're relegated now, but it's vital that Burnley pick up the points there. Then we've got Southampton taking on Crystal Palace. Two teams that you cannot predict. Southampton lose 6-0 to Chelsea one week, beat Arsenal 1-0 the next week, lose to Brighton, right? Impossible to predict. Palace are the same, but could be a good game of football. Then we have Aston Villa taking on Norwich. Dean Smith going back to Villa Park. Norwich, definitely, definitely relegated at this point. Villa have turned around a a bit of a run of poor form. Um, They, I'm just finding them now. They're still not one in five, but they've put the halt to four losses in a row. So Villa will be looking to get a win to make it a little bit more comfortable. Then we have Wolves taking on Brighton. Wolves still one of the like underrated stories of the season. They could overtake United if they win, I think. No, they go within three points. Oh, they're already... Wait. <laughs> Mathematics. Are they already above them? No, they could go within two points. That's of why United. we teach English, ladies and gentlemen, and yeah. not maths. Maths is not my strong, strong point. Um, Wolves could put themselves in contention for a European spot if they win there. Brighton, again, impossible to predict. Leeds United uh, versus Man City is the late kickoff on Saturday. Leeds are starting a really rough run of games now. Really rough. I think they've got Arsenal after City... They've got some really, really tough games coming up. This is going to be massive for their survival hopes. Um, Then on Sunday, 
We have Tottenham taking on Leicester City, a game where I think Tottenham can drop points. I really hope Tottenham can drop points. Leicester, of course, playing this evening. So will they be tired? Are they just going to roll over for Tottenham? But Tottenham, not a single shot on target in their last two matches. Just think about that. Then at the same time on Sunday, we have Everton taking on Chelsea. Frank Lampard hosting his former team. Everton have got such a shit run of games. They are really, really in trouble. They needed Burnley to not turn up, and Burnley have started turning up. Um, then the late kickoff on Sunday is West Ham hosting Arsenal. West Ham with zero fit centre-backs. Craig Dawson getting sent off in the last game. This obviously means that they're going to keep a clean sheet and beat Arsenal somehow, but that on paper is good news for Arsenal. West Ham again playing this evening. Will they just be knackered? We don't know. Then on Monday night, we have Manchester United taking on Brentford. Brentford, a very, very, very tricky team to play. Christian Eriksen, late winner? I'm going to say it. Look, one last thing that I want to say about wrong predictions in this pod. We put our neck on the line. I want to say Rory especially did, saying that Newcastle were one of the worst teams that the Premier League had ever seen. They and were they, until yeah, a point. They, yeah, <laughs> yeah. they were until a point, but man, did they turn their season around. They're nine points shy of a European spot, which is not even impossible at this point in the season. It's ins- it is like, and it's been interesting because obviously... Newcastle fans now, from what I've seen on Twitter, are very, oh, of course, they're delighted, right? They're having this incredible season. The turnaround is insane. Eddie Howe has been amazing. He's got incredible things out of players that were already there. It isn't just down to the money, but the money definitely helped. The takeover definitely helped. And I think now there seems to be a mood within Newcastle fans that even any mention of the money and they get really upset, even any mention of like, well, financially, you know, you did get, no, 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 it's Joel Linton. Joel Linton's got better. Yes, yes, your players have got better, but can we just <laughs> accept that being the richest club in the world has probably had some impact on your season? Um, it seems like even the mention of it, they're getting very precious about it. I'm getting, I'm finding it quite tiring. But I believe... It's come time to address the big elephant. You've postponed it for for, for long yeah. enough now, Tommy. Yeah, I'll let you introduce it, Rory. Just go for it. So, a games in hand, the concept of a game in hand is brutal. Because as a fan, and as an Arsenal fan, I've done it all this season, you assume you're going to win the game. You say, oh, but we've got the game in hand. That's three points, right? And this game, I sent you the voice note beforehand, didn't I? And I was like oh yeah, this game just felt like an, an esoteric thing. I forgot it even had to happen because it had just been postponed and postponed and postponed. But then it happened, Tommy, and all your, well, all Inter's chickens came home to roost at once by not addressing one key position in the team for about 20 years. I do not know how it hasn't been addressed and this moment has been coming. It doesn't make it any better. For Milan fans, it might make it a little bit better, but man, that's a brutal way to lose a game. Look, it started off with a Perisic wonder goal, oh. just like one for the books. You know, just just this guy just goes at it, dribbles two players, just bang, goes in, and it feels like all right, it's gonna happen. Like it this feels is the like game. an inter legend at this point, right? Yeah, no, Perisic is definitely yeah. up there as one of the... If we had a stadium like Arsenal's, I think Brozovic and Perisic, they would nice. both deserve like a picture out there. 
Look, um, after after watching the highlights, because I didn't watch the full game of Real Madrid versus Manchester City, this looked like a different sport. Welcome back to Serie A. <laughs> um, Inter, we conceded. Uh, very poor defending on Ardanovic. Uh, mm. Di Marco's fault, possibly. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, Radu, our backup goalkeeper, couldn't do anything on that one. Um, but it felt like, even before that mistake, felt like we were too uh i don't know we were too stiff we couldn't find the correct way to goal an easy way to goal a few squandered chances one especially by lotaro martinez um it did feel like a tricky game and at some point in the game i was just like you know what i will take the draw i will take mm-hmm. the draw because that takes the pressure off of our shoulders and it puts it on ac milan's but i didn't even imagine that we could lose that game i mean Inter Milan, how many games have we lost this season? Very few in Serie A. I want to say that this is the third defeat that we have. I'm going to double-check right now as I'm speaking. But, yeah, this is the fourth defeat that we had against Bologna. What? Look, let's address the problem. Um, Perisic, I don't really know why he tried to direct the throw-in towards our goalkeeper. It wasn't the smart decision. Okay, that allowed. The ball is still coming. You are a professional goalkeeper. You cannot do... We are competing for the title. That that has no place in our football Mm -hmm. team. It's despicable. At the end of the day, it's just a game. I can get to the point of of, uh, um, forgiving Radu. Right now, I'm still fuming a little bit. I'm fuming also with the club. Because as you said, well, it's not 20 years. It's exactly half. But we haven't addressed the goalkeeping issue in over 10 years. Look, Andanovic has been an incredible goalkeeper for Inter Milan. And he will ever, he will forever hold a place in my heart because I ha- I was a season ticket holder in those shitty, shitty years in which I saw that man just keep the ship afloat at all times. However, so at that point, you can even be like, we can have kind of a t- shitty goal backup keeper. But we've had some very, very poor backup keepers over the years. One of them was Carrizo. Inter fans will remember him. We got out of the Europa League because of his mistakes. Then we replaced him with Daniele Padelli. Daniele Padelli mm-hmm. is a guy that was about to quit football because of insecurities. Mm-hmm. And he comes to play for a team competing for the title. All right, fine. We'll do that. He had to play a few games. Didn't cover himself in glory when that happened. And now that Andanovic has become an issue, that Andanovic is not, he cannot guarantee the performances that he guaranteed mm-hmm. before, you bring in Radu, Yonit Radu, he's an inter-youth product. He went on loan to Parma, he went on loan to Genoa, he collected some experience. Look, better than Padelli, but still, in my opinion, in my world, and again, I have never played football. I have never hung out at a football club, so I don't really know how it works. But in my mind, the second string goalkeeper, he trains not just as much as the first team goalkeeper, but even harder. Because mm-hmm. he knows that once he has to step in that pitch, he needs to perform better than the starting goalkeeper. A few months, a few weeks back, the agent of Yonit Radu said, this is not acceptable. Our deals with Inzaghi were different. And I'm I'm all about what Inzaghi did because I think that there should be one goalkeeper that plays every game. And if he gets injured, there is a second one coming in. 
you see how toxic it is between the Navas and the Donnarumma at PSG. Mm-hmm. I think one goalkeeper deserves the spot and the second one just needs to train fucking hard to show that if the situation comes, if the opportunity comes, he's ready to do it. Radu, holy shit, what a mistake. And when it goes down to it, it could go down not only to the Radu mistake, but also to AC Milan's second uh, string goalkeeper, Tata Ruzano, saving a penalty on Lautaro Martinez in the first leg of the derby this season. Look, is it over? No, it's not over. There are still four games to play. Inter Milan, well, after an 11-game unbeaten run in all competitions, this comes to a close. We've got Udinese next. Udinese, last night, they smashed the Fiorentina 4 nil. bastard of a team to come up against, man. And guess, and guess who is playing against Fiorentina come the weekend? AC Milan. Now, AC Milan, over their last five games, they've got, in Serie A, three wins and two draws. They've scored only five goals in these games, but also conceded only one. It's going to be an interesting matchup between Fiorentina and AC Milan, as it is going to be very interesting between Inter and Udinese. The mm-hmm. thing is, even if AC Milan don't win all four of these games. They just need three wins and one draw to mathematically win it. Inter Milan are chasing. They need to win four, and that's the only option we have. Mm -hmm. No draws. It's extremely hard, but we've done it before. We've won eight consecutive games uh, this year in Serie A at the beginning of the season. I think we can do it, but this is the moment where really the guts need to come out. And those are the guts that I didn't see last night mm-hmm. at Bologna. This said, our guest is about to come on. Come, uh, come on. It's time to preview the Serie A fixtures across the weekend. And it all kicks off on Saturday at 3 p.m. with Cagliari Verona. Cagliari still struggling, still needing convincing wins and a lot of points to secure uh, a Serie A spot the next season. Elas Verona, they are a team that doesn't make life easy for anybody. Then we've got Napoli Sassuolo. Napoli out of the title race officially after another goalkeeping howler by Meret. They take on one of the trickiest teams in Serie A this season, Sassuolo, the giant killers. Then at 6 p.m. on Saturday, we've got the Derby, Sampdoria Genoa. And guess what? Sampdoria do not have an easy run until the end of the season because they've got the Derby, then Lazio, Fiorentina and Inter Milan to make sure they stay in Serie A. And it all wraps up on Saturday night at 8.45pm with Spezia Lazio. On Sunday, we've got lunchtime kickoff between Juventus and Venezia in Turin. Then at 3pm, two games, Empoli take on Torino, who last night drew in an incredible 4-4 draw against Atalanta in Bergamo. And then we've got Milan-Fiorentina at 6 p.m., Udinese-Inter, and finally at 8.45, Roma-Bologna. On Monday night, we are going to have Atalanta-Salernitana, who have won three consecutive games in Serie A, and they still have a game in hand against Venezia. All of a sudden... All of a sudden, their Serie hopes are coming alive. Maybe, maybe they can make it. We could see the two Ge- the two Genoa teams being relegated, the Sampdoria and uh, and Genoa and Venezia. Venezia at this point, I think they're done for it. Yeah. But look, the Serie it's uh, they're still competing down there, so it's going to be very exciting to watch. 
a message to Inter Milan, wake the fuck up, boys. My only hope is that AC Milan don't get those 10 points that they need to. Rory, it's about time for our interview. I will let you introduce our guest. I am ready to see you on the weekly topic section. So this week, we are going to be joined by, now allow me to geek out a little bit, guys, is David Bujara. He is Chief Scout at Morpethtown AFC, and he's going to be taking us through his life in football, his job, and how we can scout players better. And here we are. It's time for our interview. And I'm delighted to introduce to you David Bajara. He is currently Chief Scout of Morpeth AFC, I want to say. Um, David, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, honestly, our pleasure. Definitely. So listeners of the pub will know that I am aspiring to be a scout. And we've interacted a little bit on Twitter. And I thought I need to talk to someone find out how the job works and find out what this kind of world is. I've read a few books about it, a book called The Nowhere Men that I imagine, yeah. I imagine you've read that really kind of made me fall in love with it a little bit. Have you read Have you read that book? Yeah, that was like when the first idea of, it sort of comes to you. I've, I've mm-hmm. said this to people before, like scouting. It's one of those sort of mythical jobs where mm. you see people do it and you think, how? How do you get a job? Like, I think I said to somebody one time, it's like, how do you end up on a pit crew for a Formula One team or something? Right. Yeah, it it exists, but it's like, how? (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. So when this sort of scouting thing hit me thinking, oh, fancy trying to give that a go, that was then the next stage was read that book and and Mm -hmm. sort of take it from there. So I, I think a lot of people... 99% of people maybe read that book when they sort of get this urge of, oh, I wonder if I could be a football scout. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's it's got a lot to sort of awe for this influx of people maybe wanting Mm -hmm. to be football scouts, that book. So, yeah, it's a good thing. It is. I definitely recommend reading it, but it's good. It's a good point because I remember, so I grew up watching Crew Alexandra, right? Which was a really like a very good youth system. There was always scouts in the stadium, Mm -hmm. always. And again, as a kid, I remember being with my dad, sat down and just seeing these men writing in their books and like not talking to each other and looking very serious. I was like, (laughs) who are they? Who are they? And just finding it so fascinating, so fascinating. But we'll go back to the very beginning so from your accent i'm guessing you're from the northeast right yeah so um will will people know but like most people think newcastle middlesbrough that's about it but i'm yeah. from the south of county durham so uh, it's a little place called shildon like a little town south county durham um and then from that i suppose our nearest at the time bigger team was would be darlington but i am. Okay. Um, I'm a Middlesbrough supporter, so out of all my friends, there's just me in my hometown supports Borat, um, and then it's like a big split on Sunderland and Newcastle, mm. and I was just the unfortunate one that decided Middlesbrough <laughs> would be my <laughs> club of choice. <laughs> well, that's funnily enough, I've got a friend who's a Borough fan as well. Oh, um, right. I do have a soft spot for Borough because oh. of that, really, but... So when you were growing up, what era of Borough was that? That was kind of like the hate. It would it would have been the nineties when they were in the Premier League that kind of time. So it's it's really weird, my thing. So you know when we talked about bits and pieces before, and, and we were talking about things, and you say about 
you're growing up with football. Mm -hmm. So it might be a little bit hard to believe, but like it wasn't until I went into secondary school that I really started getting this love of football. So, oh, and uh, well, this will be a good thing because people will probably look and think you look a lot older than what you're telling us. But <laughs> I started, so I, I was born in 1985. So I started secondary school in what, like the September 1996. So mm-hmm. Euro, I remember watching a few matches on Euro of Euro 96. Okay. But my, that sort of like started this interest in football. And then my big, awakening i suppose would have been like world cup 98 because i remember watching everything in world cup Mm -hmm. 98 like my friends were out in parks in whatever on a saturday and i'm like no i'm sitting in to watch nigeria against sweden (laughs) i don't care i'm not coming outside you know so yeah it it is weird now thinking like what i do and how much Mm -hmm. i love football and how much i love doing what i do to think that I wasn't one of these kids that wanted to be in the park from four or five years old, kicking a football around. But um, sort of once I was hooked, I was hooked. So, yeah. <laughs> What's up, everyone? I'm here too. For these for these interviews. Sorry, just... Tommy, we completely forgot to introduce you. Sorry. No, it's okay. Look, this one, I was telling Rory, I was telling David when the mics were off. It's just very interesting for me because I've never met a football scout before and I just want to, you know, just kind of sit back and listen. But so I just wanted to ask you, so it doesn't take, I, I thought that scouts were always people who had been in the game, that played football. So we are already getting rid of that stereotype, right? A scout can be somebody who started watching football yeah. when they were 13 years old. Yeah, so I mean, like like Rory, you just said there about the guys when, when you were younger and the crew and the blokes are there. Mm-hmm. A good chance is were either ex-pros or they had some connection to somebody within football and that's how they've got in. I think that's the, the vast majority of people. If you said, how how have you become a football scout? It's because you were an ex-pro or you played mm. football to a decent level. You know, that was the thing. But as we've seen with a lot of it, you know, we're getting in the sphere of football. It's not as closed anymore. So we'll all know the... Um, the stories are like people who through social media have done fantastic work. They've put it out there Mm -hmm. for people to see, and then they've managed to get a role within a club or they've managed to get a role within an organization that deals with football. And I was very much like that, you know, like my standard of football was absolutely shocked. I'll try not to say any bad words on your podcast, but I was absolutely absolutely shocking. Um, You know, and, and, and there'll be people who will end up watching this that can testify to that for you. So, um, you Don't know, worry, I the, just... the average level on this podcast <laughs> on a football pitch is pretty low. We yeah. can, we can yeah. say that. Yeah. I'll, I'll join in on that one there. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just, it, it's opening up. It's becoming more accessible because people now understand that you, you can look at football in a diff and maybe a different way or you need a fresh set of eyes on things because for a lot of clubs the way things were going it's just a never-ending cycle of oh we'll do a and get to b and then get to c and then it's not really work so we'll go back to a and it's just round and round the same names we do it with managers how many times in the premier league was it just the same old name who's going to be the new manager of so-and-so club the same names that get 
drawled out every time a club needs a manager. So, and then it's like looking at things differently and it's started at the top and then it's finally sort of filtering its way down. So my thing was, yeah, no proper football experience. I wasn't an academy player. I wasn't right. a, like a semi-pro to National League or whatever. I wasn't either a Northern League player. But mm. what I've done is I've come in and you work and you look and you learn how to do things and you put your spin on things and then it's just about how you approach it and your work and, you know, if you work the right way and you're, you're sure that you're willing to progress and learn, yeah, I might never get to the top. I might never get to the the Man Cities and the mm-hmm. the Chelsea's and the Liverpool's and the likes. But, you know, I'm, I'm progressing and learning enough that I'm comfortable to, at the levels where I'm thinking this is where I want to be. And I know mm-hmm. now doing what I have done, if I work and if I keep progressing and, and your work's good and you're trusted as a scout, you can progress. So there is, for people that maybe watch this, there, there are opportunities, but you've got to prove to mm-hmm. a lot of people that you're worth giving those opportunities to, I suppose. So if that makes sense. No, it does. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. But it, uh, there's something you said that I find quite interesting. What is it that you think caused that change of, in mentality from people just recycling the same players over and over again? We'll give this guy another chance. We'll give, or we'll give this way another chance. What do you think like caused, was it social media that kind of opened that up? Or do you think it was something else that caused that sea change? I don't know, I suppose maybe as we go, we go back, I'll keep using that same sort of phrase, that sphere of football, but maybe mm-hmm. as the like age within that dropped, the people that did come in at some level, so whoever the first club was that went, you know what it is, we're going to give this young lad who's come out of university an opportunity. So if you, if you go back, I've said this to my wife um, before, that like when I went to university, I wish I'd done something sports related Mm. knowing now where that's gone because I would have been in a very early generation of people who had a sports-based degree, sports analysis, whatever that might be, to then be in a club whereas you see those people now and they are high up at some good clubs because they got in at the first tier. Whereas there's a lot of people wanting to do it now because a lot of clubs are looking for those kind of people, academic people. Mm -hmm. So whatever that first club was that brought the young people in, then once they've been in there, those young people then have the idea of let's bring other young people in Mm. and other young people. And then clubs have jumped on board. Yeah. There are still clubs out there. We've seen them. Well, you know, I don't want to talk bad about people, but look at Newcastle, Mm -hmm. Mike Ashley, what we're going to do, we're going to get Steve Bruce. Now, Steve Bruce is a good manager. He is. You kind of, people are going, oh, he's not, he's a dinosaur, he's this, that, and the other. But you, you don't hang around at the very mm. top levels of management if you're absolutely shocking. Yeah. So he's not absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. shocking. He's just not maybe the right manager or the right type of manager to then take a club forward these days. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So but things adapt so you can't just go back to again it's the same same thing round and round and round and then it's taking somebody to look at it differently and what do we want to do yeah we're going to go for a younger manager we want to go for this we want to go for that we want to fill our backroom team with not older 
people. We want to fill them with younger people with different ideas, blah, de, blah. So mm-hmm. it's, then the cycle starts changing. Mm-hmm. Not every club's on board, like I say, but a lot of clubs are. And then once clubs see how club A, B and C are now reaching the top levels, right? Well, we want to be club D and we want to be club E and we want to be club F. And before you know it, everyone's joining it. Mm-hmm. So now you see it further down the leagues. So it's not just, and I know I just talked about like English football, but it's not just <laughs> Premier League, then it's Championship, then it's League One, then it's League Two, and now it's into non-league that yeah. people are realising that to progress as a club, we need to think like the top clubs. So we, let's plug my club. So <laughs> we at Morpeth, <laughs> yeah. you know, like the whole idea is we want to progress. We want to move forward. Yes, we're in the, the Northern Premier League at the minute, but why don't we want to go to the National League mm. North? Why don't we want to go to the National League? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's a long way off, but you've got to put the behind-the-scenes things right. So, like, the Chief Scout title that I've got in the Chief yeah. Scout role, this season, that is the first time, I think, that the club has had that as a proper oh, role. Wow. We've got a sporting director who is part-time sporting director and he still plays as well. So that's a bit, okay, nice, one, right? you know, not, not, but, but non-league football, everyone does a little bit yeah. of everything, don't they? Yeah. Cause that's what it's like. But you know, that's brand new because the club mm. are looking and thinking we need the structure off the pitch. It's not just about putting money on the pitch. You need the structure off the pitch. So mm-hmm. it's reaching that far down. People are realizing to, if you want to progress, you've got to think like the top level clubs and all the top-level clubs uh mixing recruitment mm. styles, data, analysis, video, live scouting, nice big mixing pot of everything to get mm. the best out of their club. I think it's great. One like, just it's... Off topic, but no, 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 that's great. That's great. But I think, because it's, again, really interesting that I think the rise in level of like the national league for example over the past 10 years has been insane like the rise in quality the rise in like the clubs and like you're yeah. right the the level of like staffing and the the kind of advancement of it has been has been genuinely incredible i think it's some one of the great things about the english football pyramid is that these lower down clubs are doing things like that and it yeah. leaves for example in italy the lower the lower level teams it's not even comparable at this point, yeah. really. Like Serie C to League One is like just not the same thing, and I think it's one of the great things about English football. So let's talk about Morpeth and your your role, right? So how with a team with I'm going to guess limited resources, right? How do you implement a system that's trying to learn from the top level teams? So in I mean, in a perfect world, like I just sort of hinted at there, you have that. Uh, I almost said it. I said this before almost on the podcast. I was going to say three-way, but it's... Right. So, yeah, That's fine. it is. Because <laughs> it's, it's live scouting, video scouting, and data analysis. Mm-hmm. In a perfect world, you have those three things, and everything comes together very nicely. So you've gone from God knows how many thousands of players down to hundreds of players, down to tens of players, to find the player that you want to bring in. At our level, we can do a little bit of that because we will look above. So like why Scout has stuff on the National okay. League North, we will look into the National League North this summer for players. Um, but equally, we're going to go into the, the Northern League 
which where's one four where step three in the league and then you have okay. the divisions below us so the northern leagues like two divisions down well there's there's no data there's mm. very there's hardly any video club might put a highlights package on twitter or something like that but you don't have that in full match to watch so it's hard because you you cannot do what the very top top mm. teams do you know what i mean so we rely on more a lot more traditional scouting methods than i would say even a national league north club because then they'll be looking at the National League or League Two maybe for players mm. and, and things like that. And the data and the video is available. So for me, it's a good mix because I, I am maybe a little bit of a traditionalist. I do, as much as I understand the need for data, I understand the need for video and how it, it really does help and make the process a lot quicker because you can watch two or three videos of matches on a laptop Mm-hmm. By the time it takes me to go and drive to a match, watch the game, and then drive back, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. So even with Morpeth, you know, I can do an, just over an hour's worth of travelling to get to a game. When I was doing stuff for like Crawley and and things like that, there was sometimes I was having like a five hour drive to get to a match to cover a match, and then five hours back, and your match on top of that, and blah blah. So just imagine how many matches you could do just watching it off a laptop, but. Mm. then you miss out on things because being at a live match and you, you see little things that the camera doesn't pick out because mm. you don't get that lovely wide angle. If you're at the very top level, you go on to Scout, you get like the almost like a tactic. You can get like a tactical view a lot of times. So okay. it's right the way back and you can see everything and blah, blah, blah. But the video that I, I would watch from my level on Scout or Insta or whatever, it's like just watching it on the TV. It tracks the ball. Okay, you know it's I mean? the automatic so, cameras, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so then it, you, you're missing out things. You you maybe want to, I don't know. Yeah, the ball gets played over the top, the striker gets onto it, they score a goal. But have you seen that run? Have you seen mm-hmm. the movement to, to get in behind? Is it good movement? Is it poor defending? If you're okay. at the match, you can see it. If you're not, then you, you, so it's not all the time, but there's these little things that be in there so you can pull out more than just watching it on the video and like say i just have i have a soft spot for it as well because my scouting journey started in the very lower reaches of semi-professional football northern league division two so it was always just live 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 football scouting was always for me to begin with live football going to a Mm. match in the sun in the wet in the snow in the rain whatever and taking notes while you were there so i still have it i just love it i love being out at matches Mm. um Although, like I say, I do understand that data analysis and video matches is, you can get a lot more done in, a, in a, mm. the same amount of time. But it's a bit of a heart, rule and head type thing. Yeah, also because I was thinking you may drive for one hour to go watch a football game between Tommy FC and Rory FC. But once you've seen that good right back that had an incredible game, you probably need to be watching that right back multiple times before you tell your club, I think this is a good fit for us. Um, or sometimes I'm asking you, is it is it is it enough to see a player one time to be like, all right, that's the guy that we need? Um, for me, no. I mean, you can watch a player and think they yes, we, we, off that one um 
performance, we would sign them. But you've got to go back and check that it wasn't a one-off. So you may fall in love with somebody when you see them. I've done it myself plenty of times and thought, oh, yeah, we, you know, if they become available, we should get, get them, no doubt. You go back and watch them again, and it's the same thing. Yeah, love them, love them, love them. Then you, then you maybe send somebody else to go and watch them. So like at Morpeth, I'm fortunate enough, I've got a few guys um, work alongside me as well so we can get multiple views of players mm. off different people. They might go and watch them and they'll have a bad game and you think, well, two good, one bad. Mm, yeah, you know, it's still all right. Then someone else watches them, they have a shocker. And someone else watches them, they have a shocker. And then I might go back again because I'm watching another player on a different team, but they just happen to be playing as well. And they have a shocker mm-hmm. again. So, you know, you can you can look at a player and think, yeah, I would. And you could always take that risk if you really, really wanted to. But then you've got to live with the consequences if it goes tits up, basically. So <laughs> it's it's what scouting is. Scouting is, is all about minimising risk. Because every transfer, no matter... No matter who you're buying, from where, like, we could sign Messi. And you think, mm-hmm. hey, Messi in the Northern Premier League, no problem. <laughs> but but there's still, there, there, there is still a risk. The risk might be zero point a million zeros and mm-hmm. one, but you've got to do your homework because you've got to mi- minimise the risk. Um, and for, for us as a club, we don't have millions of pounds we don't have Mm. hundreds of thousands of pounds to waste so we've got to try and do the right thing for the club um and do our homework on players as well so why the hell are you looking at Messi then (laughs) (laughs) well you you just just, don't know yeah this is the thing i mean paris and in the northeast, I mean, I know where I'd rather live. <laughs> look, look, I'm no scout, but I can tell you something. That Argentinian kid, he's pretty good. Yeah, he can play. What I've seen, what I'll, I've take, seen. I'll take your word for it if it happens. <laughs> Trust me on this one. <laughs> so when you're when you're turning up to watch players, what are the first things you look for? Right, what are the first things that you kind of go right? He can do this, this, and this. We're off to a good start. Hmm. I think sort of it's it's bad because it's it sort of is all based on what position they are. So like, okay, I don't know, say like central midfield. I, I like seeing sort of like spatial awareness. Mm-hmm. So you know, like players who are on the move that are finding little pockets of space to be able to pick the ball in or, or offer to pick the ball up in and that kind of thing. It's really important because you you do see some or you can see very static players. So players that are technically really good and the ping and passes about and stuff like that, but it, it it's almost like a chore for them to get on the ball. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I like for me. There's a lot of things. It depends on the level. I mean, for us, we're, we're in quite a physical league, so players that are sort of stand out that I think you you could hack it, you could do it in our league. And I don't mean they've got to be six foot three and all massive. Right. They can be small, they can be little lads, but they're clever about things. Mm. They understand that maybe I'm a little bit smaller, so I need to play a bit neater, I need to play a little bit more clever, um, you know, fitness and stuff like that, because we're on that cusp in our league where there are professional clubs or clubs that are wanting to be professional and then the the real sort of semi-pro. Mm. And there were, there were lads who were really good 
footballers, but maybe don't have don't look after themselves as much. Okay. So I, I want to see lads the way we want to play. We need lads that are fit. So mm. you might be really really technical, but if you're going to be blown out your ass after fifty five minutes, then no, there's no point. There's mm. no point. Um, you know. Uh, a, a braveness, a calmness on the ball. I don't want to see players that are like Russian, especially mm. when they're under no pressure, because that annoys us so much. I hate writing that down on my notes. Like, rush, Russia's play under minimal pressure. Right. They look yeah, up yeah. and see a guy that's 10 yards away from them, and you think, don't worry, don't panic. Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, and just hoof the ball somewhere, and you think, oh, come on, just have a bit of confidence in yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe, you know, it, it is hard. It really is, and I'm I'm there judging because that's all a scout does. I'm judging yeah. players, and I'm thinking, well, I'd probably shit myself if some guy was running that as I had me foot on the ball. But you know, it's this kind of thing that if we need certain players, um, mm-hmm. and then it's the usual, you know, strikers. What are they like in the box? Can can they find space? Can they finish a variety of finishers? Um, are you wanting wingers that are quick and are going to burst past people and put the ball in the box? Um, or are you wanting someone who's maybe a little bit more technical, who's going to cut inside and have a strike a bit like this, like an inverted winger or a, mm-hmm. an inside forward type thing? So I suppose a lot of that comes from what the, the club wants, your understanding of how your team wants to play and like what the manager or whoever or, or your chief scout. So I might say to the lads, like, look, we want... Um, we want a, a, a right back who is your, your modern wing back type footballer mm-hmm. who's going to get up and down and up and down and they're going to get good balls into the box and blah, 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 blah. That's coming from me. So then the lads know, right, I've seen this right back who is superb defensively, but when he gets over the halfway line, he's absolutely useless. Now, is the much point? Yeah, you can say, well, I saw this lad and he was really good defensively and we might mark him down as there's someone to keep an eye on, but you're not going to recommend that we sign him because he doesn't fit what mm-hmm. we're wanting from that player. So, yeah, again, I've gone a very long way around to say it. No, it, it, all, good. Really, good. it all really does. There's so many factors about what you need mm-hmm. to look for, but everyone gets the little favourites as well. You know, everyone, you see a lot of it on like Twitter and social media that, you do end up, you do end up seeing like a lot of players. So like, I don't know. I like a tough tackler in central midfielder. I like okay. that kind of player, or like a tough tackler box to box, like like Stevie Gerrard used to be. You okay, know, like sma- yeah, yeah. smash someone and then drive forward with the ball and whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I just think I love that. So when I see that on the pitch, and me, you have to stop yourself again from falling in love with a player yeah, like that. Yeah, because yeah. I'll, I'll, everyone else might rate him six out of ten, and I see him smash somebody and then dribble the ball forward and try and go for goal from thirty yards, and I think ten out of ten player. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you've got to rein yourself in a little bit sometimes. And I guess that's also the other way around. Like you might fall in love too easily with certain players because they fit exactly the characteristics that you're looking for. And then I imagine that there are other players whose characteristics you don't really like. And it takes a little more time to be like, like it did for Rory to finally say that Rafael Leao is a good forward for his It took me a long time. It took me a long time. It took him about two years. But (laughs) I I wanted to ask you, are you also the scout for the goalkeepers? Is that a separate job? Do you do both? 
Yeah, so I, I I do as well. Now that is, it's really hard. So it's probably the one position where I know what I would want from a goalkeeper, but if if we were looking at like as a chief scout, or and and, and we said we we need a number one, we need a number one, we need a really top quality goalkeeper. I would have players that I think, oh, I like A, B, and C. Mm. But I'd maybe want a goalkeeping coach to come with us to maybe go and have a look because it is a very specialised position. Mm-hmm. I know there are clubs, aren't there? So, like, it was recently Brighton were advertising um, online. And I can't remember the lad's name who I think got a role of, like, were they looking for, like, scouts for centre-backs or, de- or defenders? Okay. You know, like, position-specific scouting wow. is maybe the – or, or sp- I should say position specific scouts is maybe the next way that certain clubs, clubs that have got the finances to do mm-hmm. it, maybe that's the way forward. So you'd you'd maybe have like, I don't know, 11 senior scouts, one mm-hmm. for each position of your ideal formation, wow. and then players would, or, or other scouts would fil- filter into them. Or maybe if your general scouts had picked out players, then the position specific guy mm. would go and run the the rule over it, but I think goalkeepers is is a really difficult a really difficult one. So I I would I would put a lot of trust um, in speaking to a goal that our club's goalkeeping coach, or maybe if you if you're lucky enough to have a scout who had played as a goalkeeper at some level who mm. had a little bit more of that understanding because. As much as you can watch it, sometimes we can be quite critical about what is a goalkeeping error or a goalkeeping mistake. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Compared to an outfield player, it, it's it can be sometimes not black and white, but the grey area can be a little bit less for an outfield mm-hmm. player, I think, than a goalkeeper, unless you really have an eye for goalkeepers. Look, I was I just wanted I love what you're saying. I was I recently met, I talked about it on the pod, this guy who used to play as a goalkeeper and the way he was talking about the position, it, it he was using words I'd never heard before. And then when he asked me what was my favorite save of all time, I said the Julio Cesar on Messi uh, when Inter played them in the semifinals back in the day, and he said the C that was a beautiful save to watch, but it was the wrong type of save. Uh if you really want to pinpoint the thing, that was not the, the the right save that he should have gone for. He got the ball. That's all it that matters, but it's very different. So I, I get what you're saying. Very interesting. Thank you. Is it is it a position that because I was going to get onto how you spot like a, a player's mentality, and I feel like mm. with goalkeepers, is that the position where it's like more important or most important that they have the right mentality as well? Yeah, probably because I mean you talk about a lot of things. So like say there's always this Jordan Pickford thing, isn't there when he mm-hmm. Newcastle and a lot of people seem to think he gets himself too hyped up about it. Mm. And I know talking when like we're going back a bit now, but Joe Hart in that final Euros that when he was like England number one mm-hmm. and you saw him in the tunnel. And to me, he's, there's bouncing around because you're like, yeah, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for mm-hmm. this. I'm going to go out and have a game in my life. And he just, and again, I, I know Joe Hart top quite, and this is just me yeah. at my level talking about this. <laughs> for me, he just looked, he looked a little bit like he'd gone from that. 
yeah, I'm ready for this into almost like nervous energy. Yeah. And it was yeah, a bit, yeah. he went a bit too far. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe has it been a bit hypercritical of things, but I, I think it stands out a lot more. I think outfield players can maybe hide it a little bit more mm-hmm. because maybe if you're a bit, a bit nervous uh, and we go back maybe a bit nervous as a center half or a fullback or a central midfielder and you get a little a little crunch and tackling on someone early and it helps dispense it or you ping a lovely pass or you take a sort of strike in anger and like release it a little bit mm-hmm. and the goalkeepers necessarily have that striking a you make a big save yeah, yeah early that might be always say like oh he's made a save he's it sort of calmed him down a little bit or whatever and then we might just write it off as some football commentary trope that no one really <laughs> cares about but is there not maybe a little bit of truth mm. to it where you do that and then it's like right i've made i've made that first save mm. i'm i'm just going to be all right um cuz i know like, that it's, yeah. it's one of the things that I'll talk about my club, Arsenal, with Aaron Ramsdale. It was one of the things that they considered when they scouted him was how quickly he recovers from making mistakes and mm, how quickly yeah. he recovers from conceding goals. And I know that, like, mentality was a huge thing. Like, how do you, like, talking more generally now, not just mm-hmm. in goalkeepers, how do you learn about a player's mentality? Like, do you have to get to know them as a person? Are you talking about people they've worked with? Like, how do you find out about it? Yeah, so you can do all that, like you do your due, del- due diligence stuff, mm-hmm. talking to people. For us in non-league, it's a little bit more difficult because if I start going to a club further down asking a lad about, oh, what's so and so like, they might not be on, they might not be on a contract, and they might mm. shove them on a contract just because of another club's okay. interested. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can do that kind of thing. You can look into social media and and all that kind of stuff, which. Obviously, all the top-level clubs do. Um, mm-hmm. But then on a pitch, sometimes, funnily enough, I was talking to, I, I won't name the the player that I was on about, I was talking to a lad about it at work. So there was a player I used to watch, and I used to I used to really rate him in general. But then okay. what you noticed in, as, as a pattern was, if you gave the ball away, rather than, then the neck, it was like it got into his head. So if he mm. made a bad pass from, I don't know, 15 yards and it got intercepted, the next sort of time he got on the ball, he, it looked like he felt like he needed to play like a Hollywood ball or he needed okay. to do, he needed to take the rest of the team on and do something to be like back in the game. Whereas for me, maybe all he needed to do was just keep it nice and simple for mm. five, 10 minutes because it was sod's law. The next time he tried to play the Hollywood ball, that would go wrong. He tried to take yeah. someone on, he'd get tackled. And then he could see he was getting more and more mm-hmm. and more into his sort of into his own head, really. Whereas maybe if he just calmed down and played nice and tidy and little short passes, yeah, it wouldn't have looked great. Mm-hmm. But settle yourself back down and then start trying to do it. Um so it's like those kind of things as well. Now it's hard to judge. It is hard to judge because you're just out there. You don't. You don't necessarily know what's going on. We did a lot of this when I. I did academy stuff as well when when I sort of first started off. Um, I did some stuff for Wolverhampton Wanderers Academy, okay. and you do and you know like talking to to lads that had done it for a long time, and then we did some of the FA things like FA talent ID one and two and stuff. And and in that especially, you don't know what's going on off the pitch as well. You know, like in young'uns, there's a lot of things that can affect affect them um 
even in adult football, first team level, you don't, again, at my level, you don't know how lads have been at work and stuff like that. You've got to expect these lads, they've got a normal job, and then they're turning up on a, a Tuesday night, finishing at five o'clock, turning up at the club at six o'clock because they've got a game that night. What's been happening off the pitch? What's been mm-hmm. happening at work? So, again, it comes down to watching them over and over again. Has it happened in one match? Or is it a repeating pattern? Every time you go and watch them, you notice that the same things are happening over and over again. So, yeah, it, it, it it's a cutthroat. Football in general is a cutthroat thing, mm. and you have to be cutthroat at any level. But there, are, there will be little things that put you off a player where you can never be 100% sure or have 100% of the answers unless you went up and asked them yourself. But you'd end up getting yourself into a load of bother if you did that. Mm. So... You've got to trust your sources. You've got to be able to talk to people. But, yeah, the mentality thing, I don't know. You, you do. It, it, it is a big thing. You want you want winners. Every team needs winners. Every team needs, am I allowed to say it? Every team needs arseholes that are going <laughs> to kick people. Because yeah. how this is a thing talking to, like, lads. You'll know lads yourself, and I know lads that are in the Northern League that are technically... They're too good for the Northern League. Yeah. But yeah. they're not nasty enough because mm. professional footballers are nasty. Even nice fo- professional footballers are nasty because yeah. if a break's on, you do the, you do your professional foul on the halfway line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not everyone will do that. I wouldn't like to think the lad's away from me. I, I wouldn't have just taken someone out. Sometimes you've got to do it, but that's not yeah. in my nature. So you know what I mean? So you, Every team needs them. You need some people who are a little bit nasty. Um, the further you go up the leagues, like I say, your nasty players are good footballers. <laughs> your Roy, Roy Keynes and Patrick Vieira's yeah. could be nasty, but they were good footballers. Yeah, Gra- yeah. Graham Sunez, for as much as everyone loves calling him an absolute nutter on Sky Sports, was nasty as hell. Yeah. But if you watch him, he's still a good footballer. You know, very good footballer. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, Success, yeah, yeah. Successful yeah. teams have nasty people in them. Mm-hmm. It's all just part of that mentality as well, isn't it? Nice. Well, before we kind of slowly start to wrap things up, I wanted to ask you like one kind of final question, I suppose. If for our listeners, they want to watch a game and notice more about a player, right? Mm-hmm. They want to learn more about how a player plays. What advice would you give to someone if they want to kind of scout a player at home, so mm-hmm. to speak, if they want to learn more about a performance? Um, try Well, I would say go, go to a live game so you can mm-hmm. watch that player because if you're watching... Say we shove the telly on tonight after we've finished and we watch Man U, Chelsea or, or whatever. And you think, I'm going to watch that player. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not going to focus on that player. And what you need to do is focus on the player. So I suppose it's anyone. And if you've got people like who watch it, who's thinking, oh, I'd love to give scouting a bit of a go. Yeah, go for it. You know, I think it's great. But go to an, a local club, go to a non-league mm-hmm. club and, and sort of say, like, can I do a bit something for you? If you want to get maybe a few report examples, go to your local club and you might not know very much about that team. So you you don't have a, like a preconceived idea of how a player is going to do and just pick a player and just follow that player and see what they do. Movement off the ball is as important as movement and what they do on the ball. Mm. And then just focus on them and, and see what they do. Even if you just jot yourself a few notes down and think, yeah, this was good that he did X, Y, and Z. 
I didn't really think he did this very well. Off the ball movement, he maybe didn't go to offer for the ball very much. He maybe didn't position himself very much when the opposition had the ball, or he might have been fantastic. He might have mm. noticed space, whatever, exploitable space, and moved into it or cut off passing lanes or whatever it is. So, yeah, just just go out and focus on a player and watch and give it a go because it's the only way you're going to get better. Um, like I say, from my sort of idea of traditional scouting, you just need to be out there and the more you watch and the more you get used to it, the more you talk to other people, other scouts, the more you read about things, the more you listen to the likes of this with more professional people telling you what to do. Um, you know, but the the more you learn, it's it's like anything else. The more you learn, mm. the more you do things, the better you're going to get. So, and it might not be for you. I've had lads that have come and I've sort of been out to games with them and sort of talked through things. And their idea of scouting is turn up, watch a match, go, yeah, he was good or he wasn't good mm-hmm. because some people don't see the bigger picture. And then you, mm-hmm. you sort of sit down and talk and explain, well, actually what you need to do is this, this, and this, you've got to travel, you've got to write your report up. You've got to talk to people, network. It's mm-hmm. not just maybe once a week, you've got to be out. Bloody, it takes over your life, blah, blah, blah. And they don't like it. And there's no mm-hmm. harm in giving it a go and not enjoying it. Um, but give it a go and see if you do. Beautiful. Beautiful. David, I really, really enjoyed that. That was fascinating. Um, just before we let you go, so Morpeth, where can people find them? Where can they find you on social media? Give yourself a plug. Yeah. So I, my Twitter thing is at Biara1985 and yeah, B-U-J-A-R-A-1985. Morpeth Towner on there on Twitter. I like a load of their posts. So you'll be able to get through. And I'll have a cheeky little thing that I do have a, a blog that talks about scouting and football and stuff. Nice. And that is called The Remote Part. Um, so if you Google The Remote Part, you'll get a load of stuff because it's an Idle Wild album, but also okay. named my blog that as well. So it should be up there somewhere. <laughs> Sounds Beautiful. Very, very poetic. Before we let you go, I'm a language geek. To ask you something, what's your last name from? Um, Poland, yeah. So my uh, my granddad was came over during the Second World War when oh, he was wow. like fifteen. Yeah, right. yeah. It was a I bit was, of a, yeah. I was so, picturing something completely different, like Spanish uh, yeah. Bukhara or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I went to university, because there's Hajara. I think as an Indian cricketer. So the lads on my floor expected that was going to be Indian. Um, I did kind of expect someone to, I (laughs) I thought it would be Indian. I'll be honest. I thought it was an Indian name. Yeah. Poland has thrown me out completely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful stuff. Thank you so much, David, for agreeing to come on. We're going to leave you here with us uh, as we send off our listeners from this episode. Guys, remember to follow us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod. And give a cheeky little follow to our sponsor at Sports Club Maps. I'm going to send you all off with our customary end of the episode quote. And this time around is from Mino Raiola, the Revenant himself, who posted on Twitter, current health condition, fucking fuming, because they have reported my death for the second time in the space of four months. Now it looks like I can even resuscitate. 
Good luck, Minoraiola. A lot of people don't really like you, but I think that you've done better to football than Inter's goalkeeper, Yonit Radu. God damn it. We'll talk to you guys again live on YouTube and Twitch on Monday night. Have a great footballing weekend. Bye, Rory, and bye, David. Bye, guys. Yeah,